Erin Baker is a chef at heart. Despite switching careers in the past, there was something about the kitchen that kept drawing her back. Her love of food runs deep, and after attending culinary school in California, she opened an award-winning vegan restaurant just north of San Francisco. Fast forward several years, and parts of the story which she'll share herself, and Erin moved to the UK, launching the Natural Cookery School in 2007. In this episode, we talk about her fascinating career, which has taken her all over the world, to her passion for organic, plant-based food. We discuss how she set up the Natural Cookery School and how she's built a business which is 14 years old and still going strong, despite the struggles the food and hospitality world has faced over the last year due to coronavirus. Welcome, Erin. Thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. This is one of those podcasts that we've been emailing each other for about a year and um, have finally got it sorted. So I'm really glad to be speaking to you. Me too. And where has that year gone? I know. Time warp. It's been, yeah, such a weird year. But... The questions that I originally planned for you are actually still quite relevant because you're on the way to being back up and running. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's start right at the beginning. So when did your passion for cooking begin? Um, and what point did you know that that was what your career should be? Well, um, when I was a young toddler, my mum always had me in the kitchen, um, you know, in one of those uh, kind of seats that you can touch the floor, but you're in, in wheels, and you can kind of walk yourself around. And I would always be banging in pots and pans. So I, I kind of grew up in the kitchen. My mum was an avid cook. And then my first like prized possession was a few years later from those days. And it was an easy bake oven. Oh, cool. And it was a child-friendly oven that came with little cake mixes that was um, light bulb powered. So you could actually <laughs> bake a cake. <laughs> light bulb powered. Yeah. I don't know if you have them in this country or not, but um, yeah. And uh, it, it was, it was fabulous. So I absolutely loved it. I mean, obviously most kids like um, cooking. So um, yeah, I didn't really think much about a career in, in catering at all. Um, I went to university and got a degree in um, creative advertising and graphic design. And then after university, I kind of just needed to let my hair down and I didn't do a gap year. I went straight in and I actually graduated from university when I was quite young because I I started when I was quite young and um, decided to move out to the West Coast, um, out to Oregon, uh, because I grew up in the East Coast in New Hampshire. And um, yeah, then from there, I just decided, actually, I really didn't want to have a, compu- have a computer-driven dri- career. And I was making jewelry and selling it at a farmer's market. Um, that was quite a regular, really renowned farmer's market and doing quite well with that. And then just um, started um, volunteering um, cooking. Um, and in becoming vegan um, actually made me look for different options for cooking. And yeah, it kind of just led on from there. Do you know, it's quite surprising, actually, the number of people that I speak to who did a degree or worked in advertising or something quite creative, but then felt that it was too computer based and wanted to be creative in other ways. So it's quite interesting to hear that that's the route that you went through as well. Yeah, I just, um, I, I did a lot of obviously computer work at being at university. And then also I was doing a uh, sales advertising job and it was just all a bit too corporate for me. And I just just decided it wasn't interested, um, much to my uh, parents' dismay. <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, no, it, it's. Um, I'm. I'm happy to say that I. I'm. I do spend a lot of time at the computer now, but I'm happy to say I. I don't regret the decision. 
And you touched on it really briefly just then. Um, but before you got your first paying job as a chef, you volunteered for a global organization called Food Not Bombs, which just sounds fascinating. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what you did there? What What do they do as an organization? It's great. So uh, their um, kind of emphasis is serving food for free to whoever needs it, basically. And they're, they're still up and running and they're very grassroots and they started, uh, they have facilities all over the world. Um, the one that I was volunteering for was in Eugene, Oregon, and it was um, very much uh, grassroots in somebody's house. We had meetings and you kind of were given a day to cook and then you would go around to local um, food producers. So this was in the late 90s and Eugene, Oregon has always kind of been a bit of a natural foods hub, um, as you will, quite alternative. Uh, there's a university there, it's a very young population. And um, there was, uh, in the early 90s, there was a, a fresh juice cooperative. There was a, a fresh um, tofu company. They made their own tofu from scratch and all sorts of organic health food shops. So we'd go around to all these places and they would donate their food, their surplus food that was about to be um, you know, wasted. And then we could take that back to um, a certified kitchen. We got our home kitchen certified, create a meal, and then um, bring it to a public place that was agreed upon a regular time slot and serve to the public. So I took on Wednesdays um, <laughs> and I would cook and serve every Wednesday. And I started knowing that, noticing that I got um, some quite good cues. You know, the altruistic side of me really wanted to feed everyone, um, you know, including the people in the park that were just on the benches having a little drink, <laughs> but they weren't too interested. It was, um, it was more, um, again, being Eugene, there was a lot of uh, activists um, that were coming to eat and they were doing um, really a whole nother subject, but um, they were doing some tree sitting. So in, in Oregon, there's um, ancient redwoods. They were being cut down, uh, clear cutting from loggers, uh, logging companies. Mm. And so a lot of the activists that were based in literally living in the trees um, when they were in town, they would come and eat and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, and, and that's just my experience in Eugene, which was very different on a you know worldwide level. But it is procuring food that is surplus to then in turn feed and deliver nutritious meals to the community. So this was in the 90s and it feels that that was actually quite ahead of its time because there are place a lot of places more recently I mean I'm talking about my experience here in the UK where surplus food cafes and pay as you feel pop-ups and things like that in fact we spoke to one on the podcast a few years ago perfectly edible in Leicester but actually that feels quite ahead of the curve to have been doing that mm -hmm. back then and Eugene sounds great. Sounds like a really nice place to kind of develop your food career. Absolutely. Eugene was great and it was amazing um, to live there at the time when I was, you know, early 20s, not having a, a desk job and um, just making jewelry at a farmer's market and being able to volunteer. And there's hot springs. There's loads of natural hot springs that you can go to for free. They're kind of in the forest and you just walk to them. So that was amazing as well. Um, and yeah, it was very, very ahead of its time. And it's still going. I can't say I, um, I'm in touch with the organization anymore, just kind of as life happens. But I do follow them on social media and whatnot and definitely um, see that, that, that they're still active and probably going stronger than ever. Mm, yeah, definitely. So from there, you got your first job as a chef. How did that happen? 
Well, it sort of from there, but not directly. So fast forward um, about a year later, and I found myself back on the East Coast, um, living in Vermont, um, just uh, just beside New Hampshire. And I was working at a little health food shop, a cooperative actually. And I again, started bringing in things that I was making at home because I was experimenting with recipes and I was exploring things that were childhood favorite recipes and veganizing them. And I would bring them into work so people could share and enjoy it. And one day my general manager came up to me and I I had spoken to him about my experience with Food Not Bombs before. And he said, we want to um, start a takeaway foods deli um, for the cooperative. So a place where people could just come in buy prepared foods, would you be interested in heading it up? Wow. So I said, yeah, why not? And to this day, um, the sweet lilac deli, which we dubbed it after the name of paint that we used in part of the, um, (laughs) the, uh, the kitchen um, is still up and running in a profitable entity of the cooperative. This is what happens when you bring things in for your colleagues to try. You never know where it's going to lead. <laughs> bring some treats in and uh, before you know it, you've you've got a deli. Absolutely. Um, that sounds, oh, it just sounds absolutely fantastic. And I really like the fact that you were veganizing or making twists on family favorites and meals that you that you'd had when you were growing up. And actually, I did want to ask, whether being vegan has impacted where you could or where you want to work? Oh, absolutely. Um, I often get asked um, if I've been a career long chef and I say, yes. And they say, but you've been vegan for so long. I said, well, that has dictated where I've chosen to work and how I've chosen to um, live my life and, and mm-hmm. you know, fulfill my career. Um, so yes, it definitely dictated it. And um, what it has also helped me do is um, open up to different opportunities and experiences like at the health food cooperative that um, actually introduced me to a career in, in, in cooking. Um, so from there, much to their dismay, I only was there for I don't know, probably six, eight months after I got the deli up and going. And I decided to go to a small culinary school after that. And from there, it was connections that I had within that. I ended up starting a business later on with my um, one of my head tutors at the culinary school. And it's given me a lot of opportunities. And I haven't viewed it as very limiting at all. It's a good thing, really, because by being choosy, you've been able to forge the career in the type of cooking that you're actually interested in. And Maybe that's why a lot of chefs get burnt out or fed up is because they're they're stuck doing stuff that perhaps doesn't truly sing to them. It's so clear from the way that you speak that you're absolutely passionate about organic food and, and, and natural cookery. I just wanted to kind of find out like where that passion came from and, and why it's so important to you. So um, when I looked at going to culinary school, when I was um, decided to go forward with a career in um, cooking, um, I just didn't have any credentials and I want some credentials behind me and kind of learn a bit more about it. Um, I was looking for, I was vegan at the time and I wanted to go to a culinary school where I didn't have to cook a lot of products I wasn't going to eat. So there were two in the United States at the, that time. There was one based in um, 
New York City and one based out in uh, Northern California. So New York City seemed a bit intense. I had a dog. I didn't really want to move myself and my dog to the middle of a city and go to a, a culinary school. So I chose the one out in Northern California called Bauman College. It's still going now. And I did their natural chef training program. So it's a six-month program concentrating on um, therapeutic healing through whole foods. So not your traditional cookery school at all, but absolutely thrived there. And from there, I met my tutors. So I always had an emphasis on, um, you know, natural foods, um, therapeutic healing, nutrition was obviously a, a big part of it as well. And working at Health Food Cooperative beforehand, it's always kind of been a desire of mine to, to eat healthy, to eat naturally. Um, don't get me wrong. We all, <laughs> we all love a bit of naughty food every now and again, <laughs> but um, from there, I, I kind of did two things. Um, I was working, I met my, one of my mentors, my um, head tutor, which we then later opened a restaurant, but we'll talk about mm. that later. And I was also um, introduced to a place called the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. That's a mouthful, wow. but it's um, this amazing center that's still going strong. And it is a center for ecology and arts. They hold um, two-week permaculture training programs where people come and live and um, totally saturated in a permaculture environment. They have organic gardens that you know, in early 2000, we're 23 years old and still going strong and very, very much focused on seed to plate mentality. So Northern California is a hub for farm to fork, uh, seed to plate, whatever you want to call it, um, eating because the climate, obviously you can, you can do that in California. There's lots of, um, lots of produce that's available most of the year. Uh, another, um, influence was Alice Waters, who is the, um, a reason why this restaurant Chez Panisse is um, is so famous and popular because she was using peaches from the peach farm down the road only when they were in season because they were the best peaches she could get. So kind of being influenced by things like that and back to the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, they hired me as a, um, you're called a garden chef. So they had um, medicinal herbal workshops and women in woodworking. And they also had, you know, art workshops, but they needed um, chefs to cook for these workshops. So after I finished my um, culinary training, I became a, a garden chef and you were given a list of what was in season in the garden. You had to give um, the quantities back to the head gardener. And then when your shift came, you had based your menu upon it and all the produce would be there fresh picked that morning, ready for you to cook with. Oh, how fantastic. You know, I, I feel very blessed for for having that, um, you know, shown to me so early on in my career. I was only 24 at the time. And that has just become a, a deep rooted foundation for how I have chosen to live my life and live my career. And is that the point that you transitioned from cooking to teaching? Were you teaching as part of that role? No, I wasn't teaching there. I mean, we always had people coming asking questions, but that I wasn't teaching there at all. Right. Okay. Okay. So you were cooking for the people that were coming for these workshops? Yes. Yeah. Ah, oh, that sounds amazing. Okay. I get it. Do you know, I really love the sound of that. We have a huge garden here and um, we bought our house just, the listeners are going to be so sick of me trundling this story out. Um, we moved into our house the week of the first lockdown and we have six rescue chickens and we have a huge veg. Basically, we've created an allotment within within the garden and we're organic gardening. And honestly, I think uh, my other half's 
going to dump me and marry Monty Don if he gets the chance. There's something so special about that seed to fork mentality. And, you know, even like our first radishes just... And now obviously we're in spring and we're starting to see things coming up now. And I just, I absolutely love it. So I would have just absolutely loved to have done that course. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And I mean, I don't know about you, but my, my mum gardened and my, my grandmother gardened. So I kind of grew up with that influence. So I guess it was always with me, but you know, you don't want to really want to do that when you're a teenager and (laughs) get your hands dirty. Yeah. Things like that. So it was something I came, very much came back to, and I still do it now. I, you know, at home, our front and back garden. Actually, funnily enough, we bought our house because it um, it's not a massive garden, but um, it was basically an allotment in the back garden when we bought it from the previous oh, owner. Oh, amazing. So my, husband, my husband joked, yeah, we bought an allotment with a house attached. And now we actually have more of a lawn, like a, a lawn-based garden because we've got a dog, uh, but we have a pretty big allotment, just two minute walk away. Um, so the front garden at home, I grow a lot of um, all my edible flowers for garnishes and a lot of salads um, and radishes and fruit in my front garden. And then everything else is up at the allotment, the big crops. Um, one day, maybe we'll have it all in one area. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it's just around the corner, so it's not too bad. And No. So the point is that you grew up knowing where your food came from. And I think that's so important because like you, I grew up, my, my dad had a, a veg plot at the end of the garden. Garden and and I kind of had that association from mud to a potato, for example. And it is really one of the nice things about the lockdown has been the amount of people who are getting out into their gardens, growing their own veg, and and you know the amount of people getting allotments has gone through the roof. So and chickens, you know, so many people keeping chickens now. Although that's probably a story for another time because a lot of people are now giving up their chickens because they're going back into the office and that just makes me mad but that's a that's a separate conversation <laughs> for another day yeah same with dogs unfortunately but yeah exactly yeah I just uh, I just keep rescuing them they can all come and live in my garden bless them <laughs> little things it's just so lovely to see them go from being kind of bold and terrified to just being these bossy little madams fat little feathered things I love them but as I say I'm totally getting off topic so okay bringing it back to to your career so when did you transition from cooking to teaching or or merging the two so I touched base briefly on um starting a business with my head tutor at the culinary school. So she was vegan and she had a little side business going that was in a, in a actually a really cool pub. It was a bar because it's Northern California, but it, um, the Doors played there. Janis Joplin played there. It was a music venue um, north of um, San Francisco. And she had, was doing kind of like a vegan bar snacks with there. And that came to a close. Um, I, I worked there for a little bit and then she approached me um, a couple months later and says, I've got a location. Would you like to open a restaurant with me? So I said, absolutely. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Star pupil, clearly. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, what a compliment. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and there were quite a few, far too many spoons in the pot. Um, there were five of us that uh, were in a partnership so you know you know where that went unfortunately <laughs> but um it was in this really quirky town 
called Guerneville and it's um, on the Russian River, which is um, wine country in Northern California um, and Sonoma County. It's um, Corbel, which makes all the champagne, Kendall Jackson. They're just up the road, um, but also lots of lovely micro niche wineries. And so it's a little town of 30,000, sorry, 3,000 in the winter and 30,000 in the summer because it's a, it um, used to be where the train stopped from San Francisco. So it became like a kind of a river beach resort. Uh, but then obviously the train went away. And then um, probably in the late 90s, it was it became a gay tourist destination. So all of um, the communities from San Francisco would come up and, and relax and, and wind in Guerneville for the weekend. So that's why it went from 30 to 3,000. And it had a huge... Um, like really fun weekend themes. Um, so there's always something going on. Obviously in the summer, we had no problem making um, a living running a restaurant. But in the winter, when our population went back down, <laughs> um, it was quite challenging. So we decided to start offering um, cooking classes as a way to bring in some revenue. And um, yeah, when I when I was finishing up at culinary school, actually, I did my final presentation because we had to you know do presentations at the end. And my the principal said, you should be teaching. Wow. <laughs> um, so I kind of always had that in my head. Um, and then, yeah, doing the um, cooking classes at the restaurant in the wintertime, people loved it. We actually did one that was a brilliant money-making, um, you know, move financially. We had people pay us to teach them how to cook for people. <laughs> so we, we had them in for like five, four or five days on the trot. And then it concluded with a five course meal that people paid to come eat. Wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And it was great for them as well. And the customers loved it too. You know, everybody knew what was going on, but it was, yeah, it was really fun. That is very cool. I thought what you were going to say was something like they brought us ingredients from their garden and we taught them how to cook them or something like that. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> I definitely would go. I would go to something like that. Um, I did something similar years ago where a restaurant that has sadly closed down now would do a guinea pig night where they would test all of their recipes that they were working on and then you'd you'd rate them and review them and, and they tweak them based on that, which I thought was a really nice idea. And it was a fraction of the price because you didn't really know what you were going to get. We went a few times and had some really gorgeous stuff and some god awful stuff as well. So uh, hopefully didn't make it onto the menu. Oh, that sounds amazing. It was. It was really, really good. And so this was the award winning restaurant that you that you were no, now I need to word this again. This is because we're recording as it's coming up to dinner time. Um, what was the restaurant called? So the restaurant was called Sparks. It was, um, we had our kind of tagline was electrifying vegetarian fare. We were vegan, but we just advertised as vegetarian because it was, you know, a bit um, more uh, light, <laughs> lighter, shall we say. Um, and Sparks stood for Sonoma People for Animal Rights. Um, and which was a group that the main founder was part of. So that kind of came from there. It was an animal rights group. And um, yeah, we were right on the, the main street um, of the town. And award winning. Yeah, we um, got acknowledged two years running by the San Francisco Chronicle for the best vegetarian restaurant north of San Francisco, which was um, we were pretty proud of. We would have groups of people from the city come up just to eat, which also helped uh, in the winter winter time. Amazing. And so you've 
just had the most fascinating and fantastic journey to the point where you are now. And really, it sounds as though you kind of lived and worked all over the US. And now I'm chatting to you and you're here in the UK in the Cotswolds. I am. I live in Stroud. (laughs) You obviously are the owner and founder of the Natural Cookery School. So you're still teaching and you're still working with natural and vegan foods. How on earth did you end up coming to Stroud and starting the Natural Cookery School? Well, um, so long story short, I ended up, the business, the restaurant ended up dissolving, like I said, too many spoons in the pot. Um, And... I ended up moving back to the East Coast to be with my family for a while and regroup. Did that for a bit, loved, um, funnily enough, I actually had an um, eco-friendly cleaning business. I just wanted to take a little bit of time off of cooking. So I started to conscious cleaners with one of my best friends and we cleaned people's houses, making our own cleaning products, which was quite fun. But um, again, it's tangent. Um, <laughs> Then from there, I just, I really started to kind of get the itch to cook again. And I started a little food market, um, kind of again, a farmer's market um, stall with a friend doing some cooking. And then I was, I didn't really have any ties to the area besides my family. You know, I didn't, I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't have a you know, permanent job, so to speak. So I started just looking for a job and I was just looking for a vegan chef job, you know, good old Google um, or other search engine <laughs> and mm-hmm. came up with a job working as a sh- as a chef on a hospitality canal boat wow. in England. <laughs> so Amazing. I said, that sounds quite interesting. Why not? Um, so I applied and I got the job um, and the employer facilitated the work permit. And um, I thought I was only coming over for six months um, just to kind of do a summer, so to speak, um, on the boat. Um, and I've been here 15 years now. <laughs> so before we talk about the natural cookery school, I have to ask you some questions about the canal boat. I can't even imagine how small was the kitchen? Like how difficult was it? What were you doing? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds crazy. It, it, it Unfortunately, um, I lived two months on the canal boat and I only, only um, was actually moving for 10 minutes of that. <laughs> Um, oh. it, didn't, it was one of those kind of like ideal jobs that sounded amazing. Although, you know, within its uh, confined area, uh, it was, it was fun. You know, I, I've, I've lived in a van previously. I've, I've lived off the grid previously. I've lived in all sorts of different situations. So that part I was fine with. Um, unfortunately the employer and I didn't, well, the employer and many people did <laughs> didn't really hit it off that well long term um uh, yeah he he was an interesting fella um but anyway um we the kitchen was very tiny and it would have been very complicated to actually cook for people Uh, it was two boats it was a motor and a buddy and the um the guest would stay in the buddy and the motor uh, I think that's right. I can't remember now. Anyway, the you you kind of the kitchen was in one of the boats, and then um, the other boats where there was the accommodation. And um, yeah, it just right. just didn't end up working out. But in the meantime, I met my husband, so <laughs> <laughs> that's why I ended up staying. Wow. <laughs> There you go. Amazing. And so now we're going to talk about the Natural Cookery School. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you where the idea came from, but it's it's pretty obvious, really, given that you were told by your tutor that you should teach yeah. and that you have this lifelong passion and experience in natural cookery. So I guess 
I don't really need to ask you where the idea came from, but I would like you to tell the listeners a little bit about when you first started the natural cookery school up like what kind how was that because initially the school was mobile is that right yeah and it's um, actually ties in with quite a nice story that I, I don't think I, I mentioned to you um beforehand um so after meeting said husband um decided I was going to stay in England for a little while and I had a friend that I grew up with actually that was living just outside of Stroud, um, teaching at Steiner school. And I said, Oh, can I come stay with you for a little while? And I did. Um, and then I ended up stumbling into Stroud to try to open a bank account. Didn't end up getting a bank account, but I ended up getting a job <laughs> at uh, Britain's first organic cafe. And Stroud is another fantastic foodie city as well. Of, of- town. It is. And little did I know, little did I know at the time. But um, so I ended up um, applying for a job and became the head chef soon after at Woodruff's Organic Cafe, which is still growing strong and um, right on the high street. I was working there for many years. The owner and I became very good friends. Um, just actually met up with her today for a cup of tea outside and a walk. And then um, while um, probably about, I don't know, maybe a year after I started working there, I asked her if I could hire out the downstairs and start teaching classes in one night a week on my day off. I don't know what I was thinking on my day off, but anyway, <laughs> one of my days off. And um, she said, yeah, no problem. So I started um, teaching cookery classes there. And it was just, you know, our regular customers. And then, you know, I, I didn't have a website or anything like that at the time. Um, just did a bit of leafleting and things like that around town. And yeah, they became very popular. And from there, um, things kind of ran its course. Um, and I decided that I wanted to stop doing the daily grind of being um, attached to the cooker, but I needed to transition um, partially to be earning some money that where I could also start the cookery school going a little bit stronger. So I applied for a job, not cooking related, but food related, that was by a charity called Vision 21. And it was creating allotments in disused areas. So mm. yeah, it was, it was another dream job. It was a grant funded by the big lottery. And I was in charge of creating three allotments in land that was already chosen. One in Tewkesbury, one in Cheltenham, one in Sirencester. Amazing. Um, these, I mean, not all of them were proper big allotments, um, but all of them were community-based. Um, and within that, um, the, the one that's still going at this point, the biggest one was a massive piece of land in Tewkesbury in between um, housing estates and a nature reserve. It started as a little community um, allotment and now that was, you know, kind of everybody mucked in and grew everything together. Mm. And now it's 24 private plots that the help of charity funding and um, the community and myself have made it a permanent part of the community. So that's really that's amazing. Fantastic. And we would also do seed to play. I, I brought a little gas cooker and we would go pick things and we would cook it right there. That's my dream. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was great. It was great. Um, it was a lot of definitely muscle building for my brain because it was totally different to, you know, what, what I had been doing previously, but it was a great opportunity. It taught me a lot. And, um, it also has made a lasting, um, community, you know, one of the allotment holders, when I asked her, I said, Oh, you know, what's the best thing that you've grown this year? And one of them, bless him, melted my heart. He said, friends. Oh, that is so lovely. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> that is so Dream lovely. Job. Get that on a postcard. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Still in touch with them as well. So anyway, so that was um, 
what I was doing to pay the bills, so to speak, while I decided to come up with natural cookery school. I'd started calling, you know, the cookery classes at Woodruff's natural cookery school just to kind of give me an identity, give me a role. And then as I was doing the charity job, I was building a website, getting things um, organized, offering um, you know, classes in people's homes doing, you know, kind of, again, I wanted to go back to the kind of teaching people, um, therapeutically and nutritionally how to cook, but there's, there is a market for that. Absolutely. But people more so Mm. want to learn how to cook Thai food or street food because, (laughs) you know, that's, that's what's more popular, um, generally the trends. yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, alongside um, doing those things, I started um, teaching at other established cookery schools as a freelance um, tutor. And they were all fine with you know, me having my own kind of mobile cookery school because I had a page on my website that listed everywhere I was teaching. So it, it was advertising for them as well. And then if mm-hmm. you know you heard about me and you were in Bristol, you could go, oh, I could go here or here, you know, sort of thing. And um yeah, it went really, really well. And I did that for quite a few years. Um, and then my wonderful friend, Kate, um, had, um, well, we became friends, but first she had a, a little business called Asparagasm. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. And- <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> it's a fantastic, it's a, um, started in London as a supper club concept, um, kind of a, a dining experience. And then she ended up having a little cafe in Nowsworth, which is where, natural cookery school is now not at the cafe, but, um, yeah, I had a little cafe and she had me coming in to do, um, pop-up experience. So, so having me as a guest chef. So we started there and then my local pub and, um, a pub that her and her husband owned at the time, uh, the Royal Oak, I started cooking once a month doing a meat free Monday at each pub. So I would be the guest chef at the pub for the night and cook a meal, um, always seasonal, always vegan, always, always themed. And then Kate, um, had, a asparagasm unfortunately closed and she had a development kitchen that she was responsible for. And she said, do you, do you want to have a go? So I, um, had a go <laughs> and now I've fully fully taken on the lease. And, um, I've been there about two and a half years in Nailsworth and I've got a beautiful commercial kitchen upstairs and a lovely dining area downstairs. And, um, for the past two and a half years, I have been running classes there. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So I was going to ask you what the secret is because, you know, over the last few years and especially obviously with with COVID, we've seen so many independent food businesses close their doors. Do you think that perhaps, I'm, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it's almost that your your flexibility and your the ability that you seem to have to just regroup and, and try things and do things differently, do you think that's the secret to your success? Possibly. And I also think that finally, um, there is a market for what I offer. Um, there always has been a very niche market, but I think the world's waking up to growing their own food, to eating less meat, to, um, people having, you know, allergies and not being able to have dairy, you know, things like that. Vegan used to be a very taboo word. It is still, but it's becoming much more acceptable. Um, and people, absolutely, um, are, are very open to it now. 
that that has helped my business momentum. And I think it's also being part of the community for so long now. I've lived in Stroud for 2006. So since 2006, I think people have really gotten a a taste for what I have to offer, so to speak. Mm. I was just thinking about the older generations, meat and two veg, you know, for example, my mum and her husband, he is absolutely a meat and two veg guy, but even they now have a meat free Monday. And I think you're right. It's that veganism is, is less taboo, which it really should never have been, but for some reason was, and and is an acceptable and very normal or becoming, you know, maybe I'm saying this because I live in Bristol, um, which again is a really foodie hotspot, but a very normal way to eat. And, you know, we don't have to have, I mean, I eat meat, but we probably eat meat maybe once a week, if that. And and I think there will be people out there who perhaps aren't, aren't vegan, but want to learn how to cook those things because they want to have the flexibility and they, they should be eating a, a balanced diet and, and we mm-hmm. definitely should be eating less meat. So um, I think you're probably right, but I'm sure it's also to do with the fact that you've just it just sounds like everything you touch turns to gold. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> well, not without a little bit of uh, blood, sweat and tears. Um, <laughs> you run cookery classes. We've had coronavirus for over a year now, and clearly that has affected your business. So talking about how you, you tweak and change and, and do all these amazing things, how, how have you diversified your, your business to suit the current climate? So as with everyone else, um, in the middle of March last year, I closed my doors for cookery classes for the foreseeable future. And then I did reopen. I think I was open over the past year. I've been open probably about six to eight weeks for classes um, total between lockdowns. And I luckily, um, I've got a wonderful husband who can kind of hold the fort down financially without me needing to contribute during the lockdown. So that's been really great. I haven't had the financial pressures. I just had to hold on to my business, but I'm not really one to just sit back and do nothing. Um, so going along with the meat free Mondays that I was, um, cooking at the pub, um, Monday, Sunday was actually quite a good day to cook. We had a, we got our puppy. It was pre-lockdown, but we got our dog. She's a rescue dog. We got her about a month before lockdown happened. So she's still very much transitioning into the house. We couldn't leave her alone for hours on end. So Sunday was quite a good day for me to cook and then um, have a finishing touches and whatnot and offer a meat-free Monday collection service. So I started out offering it. um, I just put it out there for one day, not really with a plan. 27th of April last year, um, I wait, you know, I gave myself a little bit of, actually I injured myself. So I had to, (laughs) on a dog walk. Um, So I had to have a bit of time off. And then I said, okay, 27th of April last year, I'm going to do a meat-free Monday. I put it online, social media, it sold out within 24 hours. Wow. I did 75 covers. <gasps> oh, wow. Um, people were desperate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was all a collection at my local pub, which I was cooking at pre-lockdown once a month. So it was it was great. And then I said, okay, I'm going to do it every week um, with collection in Nailsworth, which is the next town over from Stroud on alternate weeks from Stroud. So I did that all through the summer and gained, you know, really, really lovely, loyal following. Um, And then when I reopened the cookery school in September last year, I'd said, okay, I'm only going to do it every other week. And I'll offer it at both places. And that seemed to work. Because, you know, of course, it died down over the summer a little bit with restaurants reopening and people could go back out to eat and also just people being busy in the summer. But, we, you know, during the, the lockdown period, we were averaging about 60 to 80 orders a week. Um, so it's really good momentum, I, I, you know, for one day. That's not a whole week, but it's just one day. And then um, when the November lockdown hit, I 
again, just started offering weekly takeaways, but still collection at both. Um, so one of us would go drop it off in Stroud, one of us would stay um, and do it in Nailsworth. And then um, I kind of was looking ahead going, okay, I had some downtime in November. I don't think, you know, if we're open for classes in, in December, I'm sure it'll be, will be soon shot again. So I came out with a range of vegan cheese boxes for Christmas mm. um, and these beautiful hampers um, for people to give us Christmas <gasps> gifts. And wow. then also like a festive food range for people to get for party nibbles. So again, I then diversified because at the end of the day, you know, people were asking me, are you going to do Zoom classes? I just had the urge to feed my community. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't. I didn't want to be teaching people in their in their kitchens. Um, you know, maybe yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the best business move. But I've always been guided by my heart, not my handbag. And I just wanted to feed. It's been an absolutely amazing community response. Um, I just did sixty five orders last night for um uh, our meat free Monday. So yeah, they're going strong. Amazing. What kind of things are you cooking? Does it change every week? Is it like a set menu? Oh, I wish I could get something. I'm a bit too far away, really. Um, it does change um, every... It's, so I've made a paid new page on my website called Baker's Bites and immediately my web designer kind of like made it in so I could I could do it. And um, uh, it's a weekly... Uh, I've actually started doing street food Fridays once a month as well. And then um, I'm also doing celebration cakes. So like today I was actually baking a cake for a 40th. That's tomorrow. But um, oh, the... Crazy. The meat free Mondays are yeah. So yesterday was uh, very Vietnamese. So we did a Vietnamese curry with a lemongrass and chili tofu um, and rice noodles. So it's kind of like my take on different regional cuisine. Mm. Um, I've done, you know, like a um, taco night. I've done um, kind of a British, um, Baker's British, I call it, where I do a celeriac that's poached and breaded in panko breadcrumbs and then pan fried. So it's like a, uh, you know, celeriac and chips, um, like a, a mock fish and chips with a tartar sauce and done a taste of Thai, you know, all sorts of things. Um, kind of just things that I teach in my classes as well. Sounds great. Thing is, you know, there was this massive influx at the start of lockdown with people doing Zoom courses. And, you know, I actually have attended a couple, but I think what we wanted was comfort food and to hunker down. And I think you probably did the right thing. And actually all of these people that have been tasting your food will now know you if they didn't already, because you're obviously a strong part of that community and will return and come to your cooking classes. So either way, I think it, it could have worked, but I definitely think that you you took the right route there for sure. Yeah. And even now people are, I said, they hear a little bit of desperation in their voice. Like, are, are you going to carry on after lockdown? <laughs> um, I am um, coming up with a plan and a, um, and a team to be able to do so. Um, and we're going to go for weekly. You know, I think things will die down a little bit over the summer and that'll be a nice kind of rest. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still, ho still hoping to have it just be another part of the business. Fantastic. Fantastic. So are you planning to reopen for classes in May? I think, is it May the 17th we've got for yes. when when things can start happen? So not long to go. Have, have you got a lot no. of stuff that you need to organise for that or are you raring to go? Uh, Fair bit. Um, I'm both. I'm raring to go. First bit I need to organize is uh, some time away in the camper van with my husband and my dog. Um, so that's on the cards for bank holiday, um, May, the first bank holiday May. Um, get a little bit of a break, see the um, uh, see see the <laughs> see nature a little bit more. Yeah. And then obviously do 
do a, a big tidy up of um, the uh, dining room has become just a kind of a packaging warehouse. So retidy that up and everything. And um, mostly everything's done. I just got a very exciting. My cookery school is in an old mill, beautiful historical building. However, you know, freezing in the winter, um, boiling in the summer because it's a three story. You know, it's, I'm on the second story for the kitchen, first floor for the dining room and we've got a garage underneath us but um so i just got a beautiful fancy new air conditioning heating system installed so we'll um mm. be uh, a good ventilation and lots of climate control um which is good and um yeah gearing um gearing to ready to go i've um gotten in touch with i hope everybody that had postponed classes and everybody's been really amazing i haven't had to give that many refunds mm-hmm. um and our classes are booking up fast i mean obviously limited numbers based on um restrictions but um but yeah I think I'm I'm definitely sold out from for quite a few classes already fantastic so we'll make sure we get the links to to the classes up on the show notes and see if we can get them booked out for a bit further ahead as well yeah I'm also offering um there's a uh, Nailsworth is it have you been to Nailsworth I haven't actually no I, and I should because I'm obviously not too far away really Bristol no I've, I get a fair few of people that come from Bristol actually for classes, especially evening classes. But um, it's a great, absolutely amazing town. Um, there are uh, a Tesco Express um, a Cooperative and Morrison's, but those are the only brand name shops in the entire town. The rest is all independents. And you've got an amazing um, plant shop for like indoor house plants called Junglist Atelier. Hmm. You've got this amazing accessory and homeware shop called Armed and Gorgeous. And then there's Domestic Science, which just has everything you don't oh, need but want for your house. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> and, um, yeah, really strong community. So there's a lovely little um, luxury hotel called Egypt Mill that's walking distance, three minutes walking distance from the cookery school. And I'm offering residentials with them. So people come and cook with me during the day and then they go stay in the hotel um, at night. Um, so, you know, they can have their own accommodation. And I also do um, yoga ret- yoga and cookery residentials with the fabulous Warrior and Wild, oh, which is now the studio. So people come and they do yoga. Um, it's optional. You don't have to do the yoga, but, <laughs> and then learn, um, very, you know, healthy alkaline meals. Um, so that, that's very exciting. So, um, those are, we've got a couple of those going on this summer and then into next year, into the autumn as well. Yeah. That sounds fab. I'm definitely going to have a look at that. Excited to also think about maybe getting away at some point, having not had a holiday for quite a while. I think we're going to dust the tent off, (laughs) go find somewhere to, to pitch the tent and have a bit of, um, yeah, yeah. Chill. I feel like this has been a bit like a This Is Your Life um, episode, but it's just been so fantastic to hear your story and, and, and where you started to where you are now. And you've done some really cool stuff, really cool stuff. And yeah, I think the listeners will, will love listening to this as much as I have enjoyed chatting to you. So um, yeah, a huge thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And, and yeah, thank you. It, it's, you know, you just kind of go through life really, don't you? And you often don't sit and reflect on what, where you, how far you've come and what you've done. And um, yeah, when I was preparing, you know, going through um, what we were going to talk about earlier, I did just, just kind of well up with pride and go, actually, you've done all right for a girl from small town, New Hampshire. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been lovely to chat with you and lovely, lovely to share um, a lot of stories and gardening stories. And um, yeah, and uh, have fun with those chickens. <laughs> 